Okay, Genesis 19, questions? Okay, yeah, could you talk about this? Um, it's common today for people to talk about like a celibate gay Christian or, a, or that someone can be a homosexual by orientation and desire, but as long as they don't act upon it, then they can identify as that and be celibate, or even they will say that they're in a mixed orientation marriage. So a homosexual man, who is, that's what he is by nature, but then he marries a woman, but he's still identifying as, well, talk about that, that, okay. what's going on. And, and what okay, can doing. one be a celibate homosexual Christian? Can one be that, or can one be married to a woman and be a married homosexual Christian? Is there any way that we can put all of those words together in one sentence without a contradiction? No, you cannot. That's impossible. It's, it's not only impossible, it's an abomination. Amen. Because it's sin against God, it's sin against oneself, and if one is married, it's sin against your wife. Yeah. And if you're not married and you're still looking at other men, pretending to be celibate, that's still a sin against yourself, against God, against the other men, because you're not promoting marriage the way the Bible describes marriage, defines marriage. If you're not promoting marriage the way the Bible does so, then you are sinning. Sinning against God oneself and others, whether male or female. So it's all sin. Now, the premise of this view that you can be a homo homosexual Christian and not sin by doing the physical act, well, they're saying the physical act is sin, but the thoughts, the desires and the words, or the unspoken words in the mind, that these are not sin. Well, which other sins are only sins if they are sins physically, if you carry them out in a practical way? Covetousness is a sin even if you don't carry it out, right? And even adultery is a sin even if you don't carry it out. Matthew chapter 5, 527. Matthew 527. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And it is so serious, he says, and if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. So here we have an, a case of adultery that starts in the heart. Right. And it is so serious that it leads to hell. Unrepentant sin leads to hell. And he wants us to be so serious about this that he uses hyperbole of gouging out our right eye or cutting off our right hand in order to make sure we not sin. And the practical way for this would be to take steps in your life, your personal life, to avoid this sin. Right. That's what he means. Even if it's drastic in your mind or drastic in the minds of others. So in our case, don't, don't hang out with those people. 
who are talking adultery, who are using sexual jokes. Don't listen to them, don't hang out with them, because then it's going to make your mind think in the wrong way. Yeah. Don't hang out with them. So that would be drastic, because you have to give up friends, or give up some activities with your friends. And they will look at it as drastic. Why are you being so extreme? Why are you taking your religion so seriously? That's the way they'll look at it. But we need to do that, because inside, internal heart adultery is a sin too. It's not the actual adultery, the physical part of it, but it is a sin. So avoid it and get rid of it. So if a homosexual says he's a homosexual Christian, he has the thoughts, but he doesn't act on the urge, he's still sinning, and he's liable to go to hell, thrown into hell. Yep. And he needs to take drastic steps not to pamper it and coddle it and write books about it and, and, and uh, excuse me, preach about it, make videos about it. He right. shouldn't do any of that. He should be teaching people to repent or else go to hell. That's what he should do. Now, one more thing about this. No one who pampers his sin, even if it's internal sin, whoever pampers his internal sin, inevitably it manifests itself on the outside. Yep. So someone might claim to be a celibate homosexual Christian, but it's going to be impossible for him to do that. He will carry out those desires. If he doesn't reject them, if he pampers them, he will carry them out. And what is the typical behavior of homosexuals? The general, typical behavior of homosexuals, it is not to be married, to pollute a word, it's not to be married to one man, one man with another man. It's not that. But to do it with many men. Or not to be married at all, and to do it with many men. Tens, if not hundreds of men, until you die. And they die prematurely. Or whatever age, age 40, 50, they don't live a normal lifespan, 70 or 80 years old. They don't live that long, not typically. So, it's really a deceptive presentation to say that they can be celibate, homosexual Christian. No doubt. That's not possible. It's not possible because it's still a sin, and it's not possible practically because they can't resist their urges. Okay. Another? Yeah, on, on that note, so that yes. people who are on that side of the issue then would say you're being unloving and unwelcoming to those people who are not living in the church. And, but what inevitably it turns into for them is that it turns into turning homosexuality into an affliction. It turns sin, sin isn't their fault. That they're just born that way, right? And mm -hmm. I mean, even J.D. Greer said that in that sermon that he did earlier this year. He's talking about original sin. He's like, we don't get to choose how that corruption affects us. So homosexuality is actually just placed upon those people and they can't do anything about it. But they're the ones who are actually being unloving because in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, some such were some of you, but you have been washed. So they're actually keeping them from the freedom of righteousness in Christ. Yes, yes. They're the ones who are being unloving. Okay, good. So the unloving ones are not us who expect repentance, but them who deny the possibility of repentance. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, verse 11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, and justified in Christ and in the Spirit. 
So they used to practice these sins. They don't anymore. So they don't hold out hope for them. They hold out misery. Misery to them. So repentance for forgiveness of sins is not preached in the culture that pushes for a so-called homosexual Christian. They don't. Um, so that's a danger that they don't believe in repentance. Then the other thing is, when they tie it to original sin and say, I was born that way, or God made me that way, they are shifting blame to God. They are shifting blame to God. But what if I were to say, I was born a bank robber. I, I'm, a bo- I'm a born bank robber. I'm a bank robbing Christian. What if I say that? Are you going to tolerate that? Are you going to put up with that? Or what if I, if I say uh, that I don't like people who look like you. I was born to hate people who look like you. you either you're too, all, too, too tall, too short, too, too slender, too fat, whatever. Um, I don't like the look of your nose. I don't like your ears. I was born to hate people like you. Now, this sounds ridiculous, and people don't normally say that, Right? But they do justify their sins in other ways. So they're justifying homosexual Christianity. But just like I said before, why not justify thieving Christianity, adulterous Christianity, idolatrous Christianity? Justify it all. Justify Because they're all listed in the same passages. The kinds of sins, the different kinds of sins that take, keep people out of heaven are listed in the same passages. So justify that. I want to be a drunken Christian. Drunken Christians go to heaven. Robbing Christians go to heaven. So I can be a bank robber in their theology and still go to heaven. Because they I, want and I was born them. that way. This, so back to that's I was born that way. That's their cop out. Yes, that's I'm their cop out. It's their excuse. You know, I, I did this sin because that's the way I was born. Yes. I, I was in a home that taught that, so that's the way. Well, I agree it's hard, but... You can't, you can blame anybody. I can blame you, Dr. Yes, I'm this way because uh, you did this. Yes, yes. Somebody did this to me, so that's why I'm this way. Right, it's you know, a cop-out. It's a cop-out. Cop-out. Okay, someone else, I thought, I saw a hand. So how would you then, what, what should be the proper response for the church? Because this, this issue is being thrust into our face all the time, being promoted in the culture. Uh, you have the, the ones, as Caleb were talking about, saying we have to welcome them, we have to love them, we have to, to do those things. Uh, how should we as the church then talk about the sin, um, deal with the people who are in this? Mm-hmm. What, what should our, our How should we deal with it? How should we talk about it? Well, in the way I just answered, but were you thinking of something else that you, you were wondering? Is there something... Another well, we, ask. Should we open our churches up and say, come on in? Okay, uh, should we open up our churches? No, no. Preach repentance to them when you encounter them. And when they do repent, yes, they are welcome to be members of our churches when they repent. But not before they repent. Right. So am I going to receive into the fellowship of my local church a serial murderer, a serial rapist, a serial pedophile? No, a serial bank robber? No. If we're not going to do it for those sins, why are we doing it for this one sin? 
The reason we're doing it is we're not thinking biblically. We're not even thinking rationally. What kind of sane, rational, commonsensical people, whether in the United States or any country, behaves this way? They don't behave that way. They don't behave that way in society, and they don't behave that way in their religious communities. Right. No, they don't do that. Only if they're making excuses do they do that. Right, and the excuse is only toward this one sin. And the excuse is usually towards this one sin. Which is to pander to the culture. Which is pandering to the culture, yes. So resist, think biblically, think what the Bible says not about that sin and all sins, and don't concede. Stand firm. In that same vein, then, because people also say that the church and also states and history have treated homosexuals, and then that, even in that statement, it's identifying them by their sin, but treating homosexuals poorly in the past by making it illegal and things like that. I mean, if people say, oh, like it was, it was hard for homosexuals back then, but it's better now. I mean, shouldn't. Don't you think that it should be, it's righteous for it to be illegal, right? Yes, it is righteous for it to be illegal. It's not as though they were mistreated in the past when it was illegalized. When it was illegalized, that was good in the sight of God, and it was good for one another in the society. It's good to have righteous laws. Just like we used to have, and it actually before homosexuality, it started with marriage and divorce laws. Uh, that's where it first crumbled. The, the divorce laws caused the society, the, the culture to crumble, and then it led to other things too. So all those laws, laws against butchering babies, how could anybody say that's bad? Uh, laws against um, committing adultery, how can anyone say that that's bad? Laws against divorcing for any reason at all, willy-nilly, just because you don't like your spouse anymore after a year or two years or five years, just because you don't get along or something, that's not right either. No-fault uh, no divorce laws, that's not right. So we need to recover those laws that restricted the reasons for divorce legally in our culture and society. Because it's good for marriages, it's good for children, it's good for th there to be harmony in the culture. In our towns and cities and schools and churches, we need Harmony. We don't need chaos. We need peace and harmony. Um, so whatever the laws were, the laws that prohibited homosexuality were good laws. They were not bad laws. And even that statement assumes that they that they were born that way or something like that. Just say the homosexuals. I mean, it assumes that they were born that way, which is obviously not a biblical concept anyway. But. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Abraham's request was that the righteous would not... Okay, yes, if the Bible says um, the request of Abraham was not to destroy the righteous with the wicked, then why was Lot's whole family spared? That's a good question. The reason is it would be the same as in some other cases in Scripture, many other cases in Scripture, where sometimes in God's mercy, he spares unbelievers because they are in the company of believers. He spares the wicked because they are in the company of the righteous. This happened in the case of Noah. 
we know in Noah's family, eight of them were there in the ark. But one of them never was a believer, Ham, right? At least him we know, the, the one who <clears throat> looked upon Noah's nakedness in Genesis 9. At least he was an unbeliever. He received a curse. He and his descendant Canaan received a curse. So he, there's an example of an unbeliever being spared. And then another example of that would be, in, in this case, in the case of Lot, Another one would be Moses. When they left Egypt, millions of people left Egypt. Right? Moses, Aaron, Miriam, Caleb, Joshua, a few others are named. And we know of them by name as being believers. And then there were yet many unbelievers, at least 600,000 soldiers... 600,000 men, 20 years old and upward, all 600,000 were unbelievers and they died over 40 years in the wilderness. 10 of the 12 spies, they died immediately of a plague in the wilderness. Yet all of them, the 10 spies and the 600,000 soldiers, they were all delivered from Egypt. So the deliverance from Egypt is a paradigm of redemption. But then you have to look beyond that paradigm for these kinds of situations where someone in name, in name only, a so-called Christian may not be a Christian. The ten spies were not, the 600,000 were not, Lot's wife was not, Ham was not, and Judas Iscariot is called an apostle, he's called an, a, a disciple, He's called chosen even. Have I not chosen you the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. John 6, 66 to 72. And so they might be called those words. Or in 1 Corinthians 5, the man who has his father's wife, he's called a so-called brother by the time we get to verse 11. A so-called brother. So... We are called by these names and we have associations and we have some benefits, yet we need to make sure we live up to that name. Then we show ourselves to be true believers. If we don't live up to that name, we eventually manifest ourselves as being unbelievers. God has mercy and grace towards unbelievers in the company of true believers. But what did... It just doesn't matter that he has mercy on now because the day of judgment is coming. Yes. Yes. Okay. So it doesn't matter that he had mercy on them now because the day of judgment is coming. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. But at least now, for our benefit, it's an illustration of how we must be very careful right. to examine ourselves and examine others to make sure that they are true believers. Because it is also true that sometimes those who think they were Christians realize they weren't true Christians and then they repented. So it's for the purpose of ensuring that we are true believers. Whoever hears the word, make sure you are a true believer. Though ultimately it doesn't benefit those who received temporal mercy now. In fact, those who receive temporal mercy now, on the day of judgment, it'll be worse for them. Like Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 
2 Peter 2, 20-22, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. For it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. That means their judgment is worse because they turned away from what they heard. 